No matter what time of day or night, the ER is always awake, providing much needed support to patients with any and every kind of ailment or injury. Dr. George Russo works in a New York hospital emergency room. The margin for error in this line of work is razor thin. And since the ER never closes, finding time to sleep and sleep properly is a daunting challenge for George and his colleagues. There's no planned appointments. It's whatever comes in, comes in. Sometimes you're lucky enough to get a notification over the phone from the EMS, but that doesn't happen every time. So you always gotta be ready to jump to it. It's a fast paced environment. So you could be seeing somebody that's having a heart attack or that is extremely sick with something. And then you get a trauma notification and something's coming in and no, the doors are never closed. I wondered, with all of the chaos and urgency of the ER, how someone like George is thinking about sleep and how it impacts his performance. So I asked him to recall one of his more hectic shifts and what role sleep played in its success or obstacles. All right, so it was a Monday. It was mayhem. Walked into a lot of sign-outs from the night prior because it was a busy Sunday night already. Had to handle those, but we also had new patients coming in from 7 a.m. sharp. And then... Patients are coming in from the clinics as well because sometimes they have extremely high blood pressure. They get dizzy and faint when they're getting blood taken. And I'm dealing with all of those people. And then a stroke alert comes in with EMS. So you have to do all the protocol for that because time is brain, as they say. And then we had a stab wound to the chest come in shortly after. So there was a lot of things happening. And then there was also... COVID patients coming in. So they're taking up the isolation rooms so you don't have exam rooms for the other patients. And there was there was just a tremendous amount of things going on. And we had to transfer patients for some emergencies that our hospital didn't have the specialists for. So you're on the phones as well. And it was, it was a day. <laughs> and I think I was lucky enough that I had had like a good eight hours of sleep the night prior. Like I went to bed, I don't know, probably 10 p.m. And since I was there at seven, I woke up at six and I felt pretty refreshed. And it wasn't one of those nights where I had to split up my sleep or I wasn't switching back and forth from days to nights. And uh, I think it really helped me get through the day. And let me tell you, that night I certainly slept well again because I was in bed, I think at 9.30 and I didn't wake up till the next day at six. It was great. What role does our sleep play in our long-term health? How deep does healthy sleep go into our biology? And how do you get consistent rest and healthy sleep when your bedtime is constantly in flux? Find out on this episode of Chasing Sleep, Urgent Rest. Hi. I'm Anahat O'Connor, and this is Chasing Sleep, an iHeartRadio production in partnership with Mattress Firm. So there's definitely a stress uh, that comes with the high-stress environment that's very difficult to wind down or to just leave at work. Everyone says, don't take it home, but sometimes it's not possible. I mean, when things are life and death and when Maybe there's a bad outcome of something. It's going to stay with you. It just doesn't go away. With the intensity, there must be some payoff. When things are life and death, the downside is that when something goes wrong, it can be very grim. But when things go right, it must feel pretty rewarding. 
The most rewarding part of what I do is when family members or a patient feel better in front of you, whether it's you give them antibiotics or you give them something that helps bust a clot that is causing a stroke in their brain and you can see them go from not being able to move one side of their body to then being able to move it within hours of them being in front of you and family members are crying so happy the patient's able to talk to you afterwards that's happened a couple times and it's extremely rewarding when you can actually change somebody's life in a matter of minutes to hours from bustling cities to sparsely populated rural areas Emergency medical care is a nonstop job. Hospital staff are on their feet hour after hour without respite because accidents and injuries don't follow a schedule. Yeah, the physical aspect of the job, especially after a 12-hour shift, wear and tear is absolutely there. I mean, there was there's muscle aches that felt like I was back playing sports. It's very difficult to find time to work out after a 12-hour shift, especially if you have a commute. And sometimes these 12-hour shifts go to 13, 14 hours if something terrible comes in right before the end of it. And it was just, it was exhausting. I mean, it was very difficult to get in a good rhythm of things as things were changing so often throughout the pandemic. And also just to to get a a good routine at home to get to bed at a normal hour, to also find a way to eat in there and watch a show with your, your loved one, or if you have kids, to find time to be with them because they were home all day too. It, it's hard. It's grueling. It's fast-paced. It's long days, long nights, and the schedule is constantly changing. And all of that does a number on our mental functions. It's difficult enough working when you're exhausted. It becomes even more challenging when the stakes are as high as they are in emergency medicine. I wanted to learn more about what's happening inside our bodies when our sleep schedules change and what the impact is on medical professionals. So I called up Dr. Seema Kosla. I'm Dr. Seema Kosla. I'm a sleep medicine physician and the medical director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. So you have a really extensive background in sleep and First off, I think sleep is really challenging for a lot of people. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think actually constitutes healthy sleep? So there's, you know, when we think about healthy sleep, we have to consider quality, quantity, and timing. And so we want to make sure that we're getting enough good quality sleep at the right time. Seema emphasizes the importance of consistent schedules for shift workers, And she's even gone as far as to petition hospitals to provide consistent shift schedules for their employees. There are so many people who have no choice but to have these unusual sleep schedules, you know, like our study subject today, George, who's an ER doctor, and he and others like him have no choice but to work the night shift at times. How common is this? And do you see a lot of patients who have to work these unusual sleep schedules? And and what are some of the common complaints? that you get from these patients. Yeah, so you're right in the medical field, also manufacturing. You know, we see a lot of overnight workers. Mm. I think the challenge about an ER shift is that it's not consistent. You know, sometimes they'll be kind enough to give you, you know, a week of days and then a week of nights, but oftentimes it isn't (laughs) like that. So you're constantly switching. And so a, a consistent shift, even if it is night shift, is better than a variable shift, right? Because at least Uh you can give your body some semblance of a circadian rhythm, right? 
I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've written letters before just asking, can you please like pick a shift? We don't care what the shift is. (laughs) Just make it consistent, (laughs) please. But picking a shift is easier said than done, especially in a field where your day changes wildly with no control over what might walk through the hospital doors. So the schedule of an ER doctor is not the average schedule. It is not a Monday through Friday. It is not a nine to five. So the average ER doctor does about 12 to 15 shifts a month. And they can be anywhere from eight to 12 hour shifts. Some in rural places do 24 hour shifts and even 30 hour shifts, depending on the amount of patients that the hospital sees. And these shifts can be the morning swing shift, or they can be the overnight shift. Night to day shift is when it becomes more difficult to get to bed at a normal hour. Because if you go to bed at the same hour that you did when you had to wake up at 7 a.m., you'll wake up around 7 and then you don't work again till 7 p.m. So I would find myself trying to push myself and stay up a little later, maybe till midnight, two in the morning, as if it was a Saturday night. Frequently changing schedules, while necessary in fields like this one, makes for challenging sleep. So the switch back and forth from day to night is never easy with sleep and sleep, especially in the uh, emergency medicine world, we tend to be the most sleep deprived or have the most issues with sleep because of the shift work and jumping around in the schedule. Uh, With 12 hour shifts, I found that it was difficult sometimes to keep a, a nice sleep routine because my significant other, she would get home later and I would want to stay up to see her, but then that would affect my work or my sleep pattern because I would be up till midnight and then have to wake up again the next day at 6 a.m. I found out pretty quickly that that wasn't sustainable. And then switching over to nights, we all have our different ways of trying to normalize it, but you're always going to feel kind of awful when you switch over to nights or when you switch back to days because it's just like jet lag. It's like we flew, but you didn't even get the nice France vacation out of it. Nurses and doctors are so vulnerable to life-threatening mistakes when their sleep is jeopardized. A tired doctor in an ER or an operating room becomes a danger to a patient. My sister-in-law is a doctor in uh, London, and I was uh, quizzing her about you know, how she gets through this, you know, working these night shifts and going back to regular shift. And she mentioned that um, at her hospital, they actually won't let the doctors perform any complex procedures or, or surgeries overnight. Unless it's an emergency, if someone comes in with a gunshot or you know a stab wound, then they have to do something. But yeah. if it's a surgery that they can push off till the morning or daytime, you know they will try to do that rather than mm-hmm. operate on someone in the middle of the night just because of the risks involved. So I think it's important to recognize that some people do great at night. That's sort of where they really perform well and they're just naturally better at night and some people don't. Mm -hmm. So my background is pulmonary and critical care. And so then when I would go into the ICU in the middle of the night, you ride a little adrenaline. Mm. (laughs) So that helps to kind of combat the sleepiness that occurs and you have to be sharp. And I think you push yourself to be sharp, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, people in these fields are usually high achievers, high performers, and they put a lot of demands. Like I'm sure, you know, in the ER, that adrenaline also helps you. Right. And there's been a lot of research on this topic of sleep deprivation among healthcare workers. So for example, I saw that the British Journal of Anesthesia published a study that found a more than 10% increase 
in life-threatening events that happened in surgeries that were performed at night. Yeah, well, and it's and it's risk of operator error, but also support in a hospital. Right. If something goes bad, you're minimally staffed at night. Mm. And so we used to have this lore in the world of pulmonary that if you have fluid around your lungs, it needs to be taken out before the sun sets was kind of what we were always taught. And then it turns out if you start doing these things at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night when no one else is in the hospital, that's not great for patients. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because then you may convert it into an emergency procedure or something like that and calling people in from sleep, right? Calling people in from their beds to help you. And so I applaud where your sister works that they recognize this. We'll be right back after a brief message from our partners at Mattress Firm. And now back to Chasing Sleep. Throughout our series so far, I've learned a lot about how sleep impacts our physical and mental performance and our endurance. I've deepened my understanding of how stress and anxiety can adversely impact our sleep as well. But speaking with George and Seema gave me a completely new perspective on just how much sleep impacts our overall and long-term health. You know, it's so funny. We, we talk a good game in our world of sleep, right? We're saying, yep, you should be in bed at the same time every night and get seven to nine hours of good restorative sleep. And so what, we, what we've seen over the years is sometimes people who are night owls, we call them delayed sleep phase chronotypes. So just meaning that you're just biologically, right? You you like to stay up late and you like to sleep in. Um, sometimes they will find themselves in a night shift position just because it sort of fits with their circadian rhythm, but not always. We do see that there is a higher risk of cancer in night shift workers. They did a study of nurses, for example, and they had a higher incidence of breast cancer. And so it's really, it's kind of amazing. I remember years ago, we were giving this conference and I reached out to a cancer researcher and I wanted to talk to her about, you know, how we think sleep is super important for, you know, for cancer and and, and that sort of thing. And she kind of laughed at me. She was very kind, (laughs) but I thought we were so smart thinking about this. And she's like, oh yeah, we've considered poor sleep a carcinogen for decades. (laughs) So yeah, they they were way ahead of us. As Seema says, poor sleep is a carcinogen, a mood destabilizer, and it causes many other issues and diseases. I wanted to learn more about the ways sleep is constantly affecting our health. So I asked Seema to explain the biology of sleep and everything that's happening inside us as we snooze. So REM is important for mood regulation right? Slow wave sleep or delta sleep. This is this lovely slow wave sleep. Kids get tons of this. This is where they, where they grow and where they, you know, sleepwalk. <laughs> they do all of those things. <laughs> um, that's probably important for us to download short-term memory into long-term memory. And then REM is important for us to organize and edit those memories. That's just in the mind. And so if you can imagine the brain has, right, all those little ups and downs, and on a cellular level, 
if you imagine it, and I'm going to borrow this from one of my colleagues, Dr. Chuck Seisler, he was the um, the expert witness at the Michael Jackson trial, mm. and this is how he described it. So if you picture it like a big city, like New York City, right? You've got these big, huge, tall buildings, and then you've got these alleys, and all day long, the garbage truck is you know, cleaning debris out of the alleys, right? Mm. And people are tossing stuff out of the windows. And so when you sleep, the buildings shrink and the alleys get really wide. Mm. And so all of that debris gets swept away much more efficiently. And when you analyze that debris, it is beta amyloid, which is one of the things that builds up in Alzheimer's. Right. And so sleep is really, really important to that, you know, for all of that. So to your point about, you know, why does sleep impact cancer growth and why does it impact our cells? You know, we, we know it's important for immunity. We learned a lot with the pandemic, right? We know that if you were well rested the night before your, your vaccine and the day before that, you had better vaccine responsiveness. Mm. Um, and probably just because everything needs to recover. <laughs> wow. So it's not just the long term, it's the, these immediate effects yeah. that can have an impact on your response to a vaccine. Fascinating analogy. So when we sleep and we have our very own sanitation department clearing the streets in our brains, think about what that debris entails. It's imperative that George has time to clear out those beta amyloid proteins in his brain so that he can get back to work and be on top of his game, saving lives and helping people when they need it the most. With so much of our health riding on sleep, I was curious about the unique obstacles that ER workers like George face when they're trying to get adequate sleep. Battling the snooze button for an early morning shift is one thing. Coming home when the sun rises and trying to get healthy sleep in the middle of the day is an entirely different challenge. So it's actually easier to get more sleep during the winter. During the summer is when it's at its hardest and I have to keep the sunglasses on after an overnight shift. Actually, that's one of the big things on the way home. If I forget my sunglasses, I get really messed up because my circadian rhythm wants to be awake. So you got to keep it dark. And if you can get out at a time where the sun still hasn't come up, I try and like rush home as if I'm a vampire or something. Like I have to get there before the sun comes up because it can absolutely throw you for a loop once the sun comes up. You know, our impetus to sleep is driven by a couple of things. So one is that circadian rhythm, right? When we're biologically programmed to be awake and to fall asleep. But the other is what's called sleep pressure. So sleep pressure builds up from the minute you wake up until you go to bed. So if you are at your typical sleep schedule, they both peak to push you to sleep. But now when we're asking people to work night shift, these work against each other, right? And so then we have to accommodate. We need to really just say, okay, well, how can we make sure that the sleep you're getting is as good as we can make it? And so we really focus on the sleep environment Make sure the room is cool and dark, especially, and quiet. So especially with these ever-changing shift schedules and the on-the-job stresses that are the norm in the ER, uh, George, what other tools are there besides caffeine? Can strategic napping, for example, help to bridge the gap to getting rest? When on a 24-hour shifts, now we don't necessarily do this in the... ERs everywhere, but some more rural places do have to do 24-hour plus shifts. Now, during residency, I had to do ICU rotations that did have 24 to 27-hour shifts. 
doesn't sound possible and I didn't think it was, but somehow you make it through it. Now, one of the main ways was after the whole day to day was done, when everyone else had left, it was only you and somebody else and you would try and take shifts where you could get to nap or sometimes even get to sleep like four hours. And it really helped because you had already been up since 6 a.m. And then it was about whether it was 8 p.m., 10 p.m., you got to even sleep for two hours. It was lovely because at that time, bed feels the best and you just want to lay down. It's, sometimes it's a little more difficult to kind of wind down and then uh, you end up staring at the ceiling for a while. But to get that rest and again, step away from everything, it's, it was so necessary. I don't, I'm sure there were some times that people couldn't do it because it's just too busy for those 24 hours, but the exhaustion really takes a toll. And so now let's say for like a healthcare professional who you know maybe works in a rural area and is working the overnight shift um, pretty consistently, what can napping do for them? Oh, so this is a really important strategy. You know, if they are on call 24 hours a day, they, they can't count on being able to sleep at night, can they? And so it's important to have a strategy where if they do have some downtime, perhaps they will be able to nap. Now, normally a shorter nap is better, meaning 20 to 30 minutes, just because you don't go into all of the sleep stages, right? Mm. But that's for people who are able to sleep at night, right? But for our ER colleagues that work those 24-hour shifts, probably the single most important thing is that they have a place where they can sleep Mm. that is away from the ER, not far enough away that they can't jump up and, and help, but it is dark and cool and quiet, mm. right? Like when I would leave the ICU, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go and try and sleep. Please <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let me know what you need now. You know, I'm going to go pee. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Like don't page me, <laughs> right? Um, and, and a lot of the time, the nursing staff was really protective of that time. You know, they wouldn't wake the doc up unless they needed mm. something. And so 24 hours of duty is a long time. And so it has to be protected as much as you can. Absolutely. You know, with parameters of only wake me up if, you know, X, Y, and Z occur. And then that is devoted time. Okay. And so you want to set your alarm potentially to make sure you're not going past uh, 30 minutes, it sounds like? Well, the 30 minutes isn't necessarily for this scenario. This would be, we want to just sleep whenever you can. Mm. Capture as much sleep as you can. Right. Because ideally, if we can get seven hours in that 24-hour period, that would be amazing. Okay. You know, the reality is that you may not. Okay. And so then a lot of the time, they just, they truly go without sleep for 24 hours. Mm. And so if you have, it's a little bit like the advice we give new parents, right? Sleep when you can. That's all for this episode. Join me again next week when we learn about the global stage of professional video gaming, where round-the-clock gameplay fuels high-stakes tournaments and gaming content on streaming services. To our brains, these developers and these games are so good that they create real experience. Like, you feel like you were in the deserted compound surrounded by zombies trying to figure out how to kill them and get to this next place where all the other players are. Like, when in fact, no, you're just sitting in a chair in your bedroom looking at a box of light. We want to hear from you. Leave a rating or review for our show on your podcast player of choice. You can find me on Twitter at Anahat O'Connor. Until next time, 
hoping you're living your best while sleeping your best. Chasing Sleep is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with Mattress Firm. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of Post is James Foster. Our supervising producer is Kia Swinton. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. This episode was written and researched by Eric Leja and Jess Capadia. Our show was hosted by me, Anahat O'Connor. 